Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. You should know where you are, and I hope you know where this who this is. This is Tyler Chef, and today I am solo from a host perspective here in the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Mike, you know how he is? He's a, he's an airline pilot, and sometimes he gets called out last minute and uh, has to change plans and whatnot. And that's why one of the reasons that we're investing in assisted living facilities is so that Mike can get out of that pilot job one of these days. And speaking of assisted livings, we have a interview for you guys. You guys are going to love this today. Now, some of what we're going to talk about today pertains to our business model, but this is also for those of you that have ever considered doing either what we do or opening up an assisted living facility of your own and you're looking for uh, lending or SBA opportunities. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I've got with me head of senior care over at Live Oak Bank, Shep Harris. Shep, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate having my having my last name is Chef. I have a hard time with Chef. I want to say Chef. <laughs> <laughs> I dig that. I dig that. Well, welcome to the show. So you you and Mike and my wife Jill met out at uh, the RAL conference out in I think it was Phoenix, right? Earlier Correct. this year, uh, past September it was. Yep. Right. And your bank, well, you have a couple different roles in the thing, but look, tell me about what Live Oak Bank is all about, and as it pertains to what you're doing. Yeah, sure, sure. So, uh, bank's been around 15, 17 years. Um, you know, we're national in scope, so we lend anywhere and everywhere across the country, but very different business model, right? So there are no branchless, no branches. We're, we're a branchless bank. Um, and then I think the really uniqueness and speaking specifically to where I play is our business model through verticality. And what I mean by that is, we lend to about 35 industries across the country, and there's a dedicated dedicated team to each of those sectors. So my team focuses strictly on the senior care space. So we know a little bit. I mean, instead of the traditional bank that knows a little bit about a lot of industries and covers the right. 25, 50-mile radius, we know a lot about one sector and do it across the country. So, you know, for people that are living and breathing, whether they're investing or operating these things, the residential assisted living space, um, we're living and breathing what you are. Right. So that's that's been our business model from the get go and it's been tremendously successful. I love that because when you niche down your team and you are laser focused on the business model of whether it be ALF or pharmacy or whatever it may be, whatever niche product that you're talking about, you really, truly understand the business you're about to invest in by lending. Is that accurate to say? Absolutely. So from your bank's perspective, it reduces, in my opinion, your risk profile. It makes you a stronger bank because you you are experts in your craft, not just the lending piece of the craft, but understanding the individual business that you're invested in. That's powerful. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine down in Key West owns a bank, and, and he has a lending arm, and he's going through that process right now. Uh, he he does uh, he primarily invests in the hotel space, right? Is where he's at. But I love that business model. Now, guys, you're probably wondering why did I bring? What does this have to do with cash flow? What does it have to do with Real estate in general has a lot to do with real estate because part of what we're doing, uh, folks at home, is you know our job is to buy, acquire assets and then convert them to assisted living facilities so that we can then sell them to operators because Mike and I do not want to be the caregivers. Uh, working with Shep and his team, we need our operators to be successful in order for our business model to work. It's not just a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, one and done. We have to give them the opportunity to qualify to buy us out because they the goal here is we buy the asset, fix it up, lease it to them for a short period of time. How short that is depends on the individual operator, what their 
business plan looks like. But generally, I was going to, I say, figure three to five years. In talking to Shep before we started this episode, I've just realized that can be a lot shorter, uh, which I want to dive into here next. The goal for us, folks, is we make our money when you make your money in real estate when you buy. And then we get the renovation done. And then once we've solidified that deal, we, yes, we take cash flow for however long that rent period lasts. But really, the faster we can recapitalize and move on to the next deal, the more profitable from our business model we can be. And that's one of the reasons we brought Shep and Live Oak Bank into our fold is to help us help our operators. Now, that said, in the middle, we have an ALF consultant that works for us, and he is he owns several ALFs himself. He's an expert in the, in the field. Uh, he also is an expert in the licensing part of things. So his job is to vet the operator. He is our, Mike and I meet them, and do we like them? Do we hate them? Whatever. Uh, but then we really want to know what's the likelihood of their success as a business person running an ALF, because it's not for everybody. It's definitely not for me. That's why I want to be in the business ownership space. But now we bring Shep and we bring you and your team in behind him. So in other words, we pre-vet that operator. So Jimmy decides he wants to run an ALF. Jimmy goes through scrutiny with Paul, our ALF consultant, to verify if he's got the qualifications, he's able to be licensed and whatnot, and puts together a business plan. Then when we get that stage done and Paul gives it the blessing, at that point, we step step over to you and introduce him to you. Your company then and your team can then help qualify them. I imagine you get into some some of the business planning with them so that you can execute a, a a refinance to buy us out of the asset later on. Is that accurate? That's right. That's right. And a lot of reasons, you know, operators, in my opinion, the apprehension to starting one from the get-go is the, the capital intensive nature of right. the real estate, the renovation, the zoning, the, the stuff that they're not familiar with, right? They're they have the resume to take care of people, but not necessarily the real estate, combi- you know, associated parts. Right. So the bring of of you with an operator is really a great fit out of the gate. Takes that that risk and that that you know that portion of them being a little bit nervous about that side of the business um, off the table for. That's what we found, and one of the things I love about it is we love being able to help these companies be successful, and by doing having these for us as far as the fund goes. Our focus is to do whatever we can to mitigate risk for ourselves and our investors. And by implementing this strategy in our business, we don't have to worry about taking on an unqualified operator who can never exit the deal and never buy us out. I don't want to be their landlord for 20 years. Our fund is open and closed within five years. Uh, and you mentioned capital intensive. You're absolutely right. A lot of these operators, a lot of one of the towns that we're investing in right now in Tarpon Springs, Florida, one of the reasons there's such a shortfall or such an a shortfall of capa- available bed capacity is that it's tough to get a unit up and running, to get a building up and running and get the business up running. The person that's the caregiver doesn't have the free capital to do it all. And there's a curve, a learning, big learning curve in the real estate space, just like there is in the operator space. You know, what if you buy a property and you pay too much? Or what if you over-renovate? And now you have to try to recover that in your first year. And I think this business model, adding all these players in, in the same field, we're all going to be successful. You're going to be able to underwrite good quality loans that uh, you'll be able to make your company profitable. The operator, of course, will be profitable, which means they can give great care because I'm sure care wanes if they're on the verge of bankruptcy because that causes stress and that's a big problem. And then obviously it helps us and our investors as well. So it creates a win-win. What are you looking for right out of the gate when somebody we send somebody to you? It's your 
but we're in the preliminary stages. We're doing a build out and we're, we're vetting an operator. Paul has already vetted that they're able to be licensed, that they have the business acumen outside of what's on paper to run it. What does that next process look like from your bank? Yeah, from our perspective, it's it's largely driven from resume and access to capital, um, meaning do they have the liquidity themselves or not? Now, right. uh, resume-wise, do they have to have been a caregiver directly in one to run one of these? Not necessarily. We see a lot of registered nurses, but a lot of times if you think, and they're great at caring for seniors um, and above and beyond the traditional ADLs, they also have you know skilled care as well. Um, but if you could blend it together with the resume of caring for people as well as business acumen, it right. ties those two together. So having those right. together is 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 amazing and, and the perfect thing we look for. From the personal financial perspective, a lot of what we do is the financing of someone starting it up, including the real estate. So yeah, by definition, we probably do need them to have a decent sized personal financial statement, access to liquidity, because the a large component of the purchase price is going to be the real estate and the renovation. Again, right. you've solved for this, right? As as the um, as them just handling the tenant needs versus the actual real estate capital intensive parts. That's right. So speaking of that, we got a guy coming in. Let's say he's going to buy a he's going to buy a, a facility for one point four. That's the real estate cost. Uh, one point four. It's equipped, but he still needs staff and that type of thing. And I realize it's hard to get down to brass tacks because we're not we're not having a real underwriting discussion. But loosely said. A lot of our listeners are physicians, attorneys, high net worth individuals that want to open up an ALF. They want to do this. They want to get a couple of them together and then hold them for a few years and then sell them off to a hedge fund or whatever. Uh, what kind of loan to value ratios do you guys look at on these type of products? If we're in like the under $2 million space. Yeah. So if they're starting it themselves, their first right. one, and they're going to own both the operations and the real estate. Okay. From our perspective, we look at it on a project cost. Right. So not just the real estate purchase price and renovation is truly project cost. So that includes your furniture. That includes the working capital or the operating deficit you need through, um, you know, sort of through break even while you're leasing up. So that 1.4 might turn into 1.6. I don't know. Right. Just pick and right. Sure. Um, and in that case, the programmatic minimum down payment is 10% of the 1.6. Now, the reality is the market we're in today, it's hard to cash flow 90% leverage. Yeah, um, sure. interest rates are, and that's, that's <laughs> sort of scary. And quite frankly, it doesn't pencil out that much right now. So right. More, more than likely, most people are in the 15 to 20% down on a, on their first startup. Um, but again, that's project cost, right? If you're doing a traditional, you know, a traditional mortgage or a loan, maybe even a residential loan on that property, you know, you're, you might put 20% down on the real estate, but then have to self fund the furniture, the working capital. And remember to get licensed. Most of these states require you to have people on staff already. So you have no residents, yet you have 24-7 care, you know, especially day one when the first person rolls in, you'll lose money. So you need a decent amount of cash on the balance sheet to get to that break even. When we've been looking for prospective tenants in our search, one of the things we're looking for is based on the numbers you gave us, we want to be ultra conservative because we want to we want to find the people that are best aligned, right? The, the people that are cash strapped, the I need a nobody down scenario. I think the failure rate for those is very high, which is why you have an LTV built in in the first place. So for me, we've been looking at people that can bring 30 to 40% to the table, uh, which I mean, it's fair to say from that perspective, if I bring you an operator who's got some documented experience or is hiring the documented experience, let's say it's got an administrator that's been on 
license for several years, already has the staff and has 30 to 40 percent uh, capital to fund the whole project. They're looking for, let's say, a 60 or 70 percent loan to value. That makes your job easier. Yes. Yeah, easily. Okay. Easily. Okay. Absolutely. And that's one of the benefits to it, the SBA product. So one thing I didn't note is Live Oak, not only are we verticalized um, nationwide in scope and branchless, but we're also the largest SBA lender in the country by dollar volume, hands wow. down, almost twice that of any other bank. And so, um, you know, by definition, SBA is meant for, it is cash flow based in analysis um, as the primary primary analysis piece. And then secondarily, it effectively gives the bank, there is the, the, the U.S. government gives a partial guarantee to the bank that encourages a bank to lend at a higher loan to value than that of the conventional space. So, you know, I would say, our, you know, 70% is pretty easily done, pretty easily financed on our, on our front. 80 is pretty common. Right. Um, and like, you know, again, we've done as high as 90, you know, pre-COVID, we were in the 90s all the time because interest, wow. because interest rates were low. Um, and, you know, um, that's just sort of where the marketplace was. Of course, everything's ratcheted down in the past few years or quarters or so. But, um, and it's largely just a function of the, the cost of capital right now. I see. Okay. So as rates, I say as they go down, like I, like they may, if they're going to go down, it's, I guess that's a big wild goose egg, right? It's like, who knows? <laughs> you know, yeah. the news says one thing and the Fed does something completely different. It's like, <laughs> uh, if in the event that rates go down, what I'm hearing you say is that things just become a little easier across the board getting these deals. They yeah. do. And, and you know, the, the other side to that is when conventional credit tightens, SBA flourishes, right? So, for example, this year is the year of the highest interest rates we've had in my professional career. Right. Yet, yet, we will have done close to 40% more in loan volume through our SBA platform. And it's strictly, you know, it's, a, it's largely a function of other banks ratcheting down and, you know, tightening credit parameters. But the SBA the government wants us to continue lending through the SBA platform. And so they've encouraged, they use that platform to encourage banks to continue to lend. From a, a borrower perspective, how complex is the process? We like, if I'm a borrower, I'm coming in, I want to, I'm a, I've been, I don't know, maybe I'm an attorney. I'm going to hire people. I'm not an expert in this stuff. I haven't done an SBA loan before. What does sure. the process look like? Yeah. So like any program that's or anything tied to the government, it's there's a process and there's a lot of T's to cross, I's to dot. That being said, the key, honestly, is working with someone or with a bank that has what's called a preferred lending status or a PLP status. You're a preferred lending partner of SBA. Okay. That effectively means that the bank has the ability to underwrite, approve and fund in-house. We don't send it to SBA. Now, oh. a lot of times people work, now they audit us nonstop, don't get me wrong. But all right. That's why you have the permission. <laughs> they probably can't, quite frankly, approve all of the loans we do based on just the sheer volume that our bank does. Um, but also, from the other, the other side of it is, if, if you work with a you know, smaller community bank and not knocking that, but quite frankly, they probably don't do a ton of SBA lending. Right. And so, you've got the local lender that does you know, whatever lending to any specific industry, right? And then all of a sudden they do have to ship it off to SBA and SBA says, well, you didn't, you didn't dot this I, you didn't cross this T and then it gets back to the client and then you get back in line and they go, right. You know what I mean? It just becomes a nightmare. Sure. And so we, we have, we have a process that we do thousands of these a year to where we ask for what we need. 
when we need it. And there's basically three stages. And it's as quick and easy as a one-week pre-approval, a two-week formal commitment, and then a six to eight-week funding. So all in all, 10, 12 weeks. It's going to take two two to three months. Um, and that assumes you're shovel-ready if it's ground-up construction. Obviously, we also finance you know, the acquisition of existing assets, too, in right. that space. So what I'm hearing you say, initially, when we built our business plan, we planned an exit in three to five years. Because of the need for the operator to get it together to look pristine on paper so that they could get underwritten. Sure. And I'm, I'm hearing, I'm reading between the lines, of course, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm hearing that there's a potential to reduce that, that time frame, that we could potentially get these people to buy us out sooner. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there is a programmatic rule with SBA that allows the operator to buy their real estate after one year of operations. One year, okay. It is then the bank's choice on whether or not they allow that. So in our case, if you spent six months filling up, we probably want to see 12 months of stable performance, right? So the first may not be, you know, for us, then we might need 18 months of of performance. Right. So what generally speaking, we like to see a quality, a a tax return performance and a year-to-date performance that have been relatively stable or successful. And... The real kicker here, when you say the buyout was, you know, you were thinking sort of three to five years, they can do 100% financing on the real estate. So, you know, normally the operator is capital strapped because they don't have 20, 30% to put down on everything. Well, once you're approved operator, which is largely who we, who we underwrite, right? It's the operator. We've now seen them successfully operate. It's not just their resume. It's their direct financial performance. That's a lower risk in our eyes. Therefore, the tolerance level is 100% financing. So they could buy that $1.4 million one for 1.4 in debt, plus the closing cost, all financed. Wow. That's a home run. Absolutely. That sure helps my business model. Yeah. Well, (laughs) we're going to partner together. (laughs) Yep. uh, That's exactly why we're having this conversation. (laughs) And then they buy the asset, right? And then the operator owns the asset. And with real estate continuing to appreciate, right, they continue to grow their wealth as well. So it's really a win-win-win. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's good stuff. It sounds like you guys, you are perfectly aligned to really excel and do a lot of good work in this space. You know, there's a big, I mean, let's, I mean, that's probably a good question. Why ALFs? Why is the, I have, you, you're the first financial institution I've run across that is actually excited and focused on assisted living. Why is that? Yeah, good question. So as I mentioned earlier, we lend to about 35 industries, but it started day one, for the first three years, we only went to veterinarians across the country. And then we started saying, and really the reason we did was through the SBA program that's been around for 50 plus years, it's government track data. You can tell that veterinarians, that's the industry that has the lowest default rate. It's like, you can't, you can't go wrong lending to a veterinarian, you know, loosely loosely said. Uh, And then we started saying, well, what are other industries that pay you back? What are other industries that have um, great macro opportunities, right? We've talked about, everyone talks about a silver tsunami in this space, the lack of beds on sure. you know, for, um, that demographic or that age group or generation. And then also what's largely misunderstood, right? And, and this whole, is it residential? Is it commercial? It's a business and a neighborhood. Is it, you know what I mean? And that scares a lot of local lenders, particularly the guy on the, the local lender might say, Hey, we can do this. And then it gets to their back office and they're saying, wait, you're doing a, you're doing a business, but it's zoned residential. Even if it's allowed, this this scare. I don't think so, right? And right. so, 
we looked for industries that have all of those things missing from anywhere else from a lending perspective and felt and thought that this would be a good one to capitalize on. And so we've been doing it for this space in 20, I guess, for six years now, um, which I started the, the team here at Live Oak. And uh, there's five of us now that are focused on the sector. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, when we first discovered assisted living, it was like I, w- I was immediately skeptical. I was like, I don't know. If I don't want to be a caregiver. I don't want to get involved in that. And the more we started looking into it, it's like, this is kind of an everybody wins scenario. It's like the the resident wins because they get great care. The operator wins because they're financially rewarded. And you know, if you do a good job with it, it's rewarding. Yeah. Our investors win because it's profitable. And the banks win because you guys get to fund this stuff. And the government gets to make everybody happy too because they're backing up a lot of the stuff. So across the board, it's a yeah. home run. Now, your focus is primarily 16 beds and less. Is that accurate? Generally speaking, yeah, um, okay. we can do, you know, we, we, I'd say our average is probably 10 to 20 beds. Um, we can do 30 or 40s. We can do six, right? I mean, it sort of depends. A lot of states have different, different rules on the um, number of beds or licensed beds. But yeah, absolutely. We pay, honestly, the key for us is sort of that 5 million in borrowing or less. Okay. 5 million or less. That's, that's really the biggest driver. We can, we can technically do up to seven and a half through some, some um, unique, borrowing structures we have but you know three to five million is pretty common for us two to five what type of terms as far as uh, amortization schedule are these people getting on are these 30-year mortgages on the real estate or so 25 25 year fully amortizing right so so no balloons um they are variable rate in nature so right now that's not probably terribly a bad thing you know if you were if you were starting to buy one and, you know, into or the be, beginning or middle of 2022, a variable rate loan is probably not super attractive, right? You could see the writing on the wall. It was, the Fed was raising, raising rates every every six weeks or so. And um, but we're, we're relatively stable now. So we to be frank, uh, we can do three year or five year fixed rate intervals, but we haven't even done one this year because people have stopped asking for it. They don't want it at the height. Right. Um. But yeah, 25 years fully amortizing, no financial covenants. Um, anyone that owns 20% of the business or more has to personally guarantee. Um, but those are sort of the key. And then interest rates are generally speaking, Wall Street Journal Prime is the index it's based off. Oh, so I was going to ask you, is it LIBOR or Wall Street Journal Index? Okay. Yeah. So it's Prime plus something somewhere in the one to two and a half range sort of depends on all of the risk prof- or the risk profile parameters, et cetera. Right. But a five-year, a five-year fixed seems totally doable yeah you could do that yeah yeah i see that i mean i'm not doing it but i'm saying for the operator absolutely a lot of times it's peace of mind too right like they don't have to worry about interest rate risk they just want to focus on operations they know they're this is their amount they have to pay all of that and then it's an an annual adjustment after that generally Uh, it can be quarterly that's negotiable quite frankly so that's basically yeah point of negotiation that's cool Still, that can be doable because that business model is very different. If it was like a residential home loan and you're on a fixed income, I'd say I always tell people stay the hell away from fixed rate, but this, or variable rate rather. But right. this is much different because of the methodology that we're talking about here. Yeah, and sort of, and to your, you know, we you, I saw this in another episode you all had, but the operator has to has to raise rates to this to the families or to the absolutely senior, based on where they see their expenses going, right? So if their rent goes up, then yes. If they're renting the building, then they they raise their rates for inflationary purposes, like like right. rent, like cost of care, et cetera. 
Um, and if, if interest rates go up, then they probably need to raise that because their payment goes up. If interest rates go down, they can raise rates a little lower or they may just be able to, you know, retain that internally and good for them. That's right. And that's why with our business model, we're focusing on the more boutique type arrangements because you have, you're allowed that flexibility. If you're running, those of you at the home that are thinking about doing this, you know, you go on YouTube, you'll say, oh, get a Medicare facility because they're easy and cheap and whatnot. No, no, no. You got it. Because when you get into some of these government-backed facilities where they're Medicaid or whatever, you don't have the ability to do much with your rates. You're you're pretty much, there's no adjusting. The loan yeah. will adjust, <laughs> but you're not going to adjust. Yeah, you have, so we underwrite those to a little higher level, right? I, I mean, our- so focus is private pay. I mean, the marketplace has always desired that. Now there's, uh, and the, the core reason is, right, you you can you can move the top line based on where the marketplace is. And to your point, right. you'll never negotiate with the state of anything. No, you will not. <laughs> right, it's not happening. You may try, but you will not succeed, as they say. Right. That's good stuff. Well, that's awesome. That's exciting. And I'm looking forward to our relationship and, and growing it, you know, expanding both sending you business and helping us get through going through what we're going through. Um, like I said earlier, it's a win-win for everybody. And I appreciate you being part of the, part of the cause. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Anything you want to add before we wrap up? No, that's it. Thanks for your time. Right. Well, Hey guys, you heard it right there. There's this is essentially eliminated your excuse. If you're thinking about getting in the assisted living space or you're in the assisted living space, maybe you want to jump out and be an operator. Maybe you are an operator and it's time to acquire your real estate. It's time to finance the business. Here is your one-stop solution. Reach out to Shep and his team over at Live Oak Bank. I will put Shep's contact information down in the show notes. Make sure you get a hold of that. Get on the phone. Get qualified. Figure out where you're at. Uh, lastly, we've got webinars coming up, uh, another one next week and the week after. If you're interested in investing in assisted living facilities, the best way to do that is to go to cashflowguys.com forward slash webinar. Get registered. Make it happen. We will see you on the next webinar. Shep, thank you so much for your time today, sir. I really appreciate it. You take care. Bye. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.